Podcast for America is brought to you by The Rachel Maddow Show on MSNBC. Watch Rachel as she breaks down the big headlines for the local threads that tie them all together. It's The Rachel Maddow Show, covering America one story at a time. Weeknights at 9 Eastern, only on MSNBC. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello from the Slate Studios in Washington, D.C. You heard that right. Welcome to Podcast for America, a show from Panoply about the insert cutesy focus group saying here. I'm Alex Wagner of MSNBC in the nation's capital this week. They've brought me in for a very special edition of Podcast for America. Sitting across from me is the man himself, Mark Leibovich, chief national correspondent for The New York Times Magazine. And we have a very, very special guest with us today who we'll reveal in just a moment. Annie Lowry is off nursing a cold. She's not she's, well. She's not well. She's tending to her own hearth. Okay. Here's the thing. If you can't give 100% to this podcast, you don't deserve to be here. <laughs> you can't. And she just decided for the good of the team. She she's taking herself yeah, out. She's taking herself she out. She was suspending herself like the Nats pitcher. Hmm. First up, John Boehner. He just announced his resignation as Speaker of the House. Is he on his way to a future filled with Merlots on whole nine or just tears in his bourbon at the bar? And the Clinton campaign continues, drip, drip, dripping into the media cycle and not in a good way, as if there is a good way to drip, drip, drip into the media cycle. And finally, are we about to say arrivederci to Jeb Bush's run for the presidential nomination? Yep. All right. So let's let's get right to it. Last week, following an historic address to Congress by Pope Francis, Speaker of the House John Boehner dropped a heat rock and said to the world that he would be resigning from office with almost apparently no discussion beforehand. Almost. The Politico correspondent Jake Sherman. Jake Sherman did have some special inside information. And thus, let us introduce to you now our special guest star, Jake Sherman. Jake Great to have you on the podcast, my friend. Thank you for taking the bribe. I, I am glad to be here. Let's not steal your lead. Tell us about what happened to you the night before John Boehner announced his resignation. Well, I was standing, this has been uh, all over the Washington Post, courtesy of my friend Bob Costa, but we were standing. <laughs> Many of our listeners do not pick up newspapers or read the yeah, internet. <laughs> This is their only source of news. <laughs> this is it. It's uh, like a dictatorial regime in a banana mm-hmm. republic. I, I like it. I you like lost it. your virginity the night before, didn't you, Jake? <laughs> that's what we're. That's what they're reporting in the Washington Post. I assume you saw. So it was this, the first right? time you tried Molly. Oh wait, is you that did, what that's was? not what the Washington Post. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so I was in the Capitol with Bob Costa, waiting for Speaker Boehner because we'd both separately, since we're competitors, we weren't working together, but we had both separately heard some rumors that he was going to step down. And, um, we Can I, were... wait, I, let me interrupt, because I, I read that in Bob's piece, Bob, Robert Costa's piece. What Can you just open the curtain a little bit and tell us what those rumors were? I mean, just for people who don't know how Capitol Hill reporting goes. You know, I it's actually funny. I'd been hearing these rumors from, I'd been getting texts and emails from members and aides uh, for a couple weeks, almost once or twice a week, saying, you know, uh, I heard, I assume you've heard this, but we, we but Boehner's going to step down tomorrow, and it actually was false <laughs> until it wasn't. But um, so this had been this is sort of like an old chestnut, if you will. Yeah, unsolicited kind of emails, just saying, 
I'd watch out for this. And this kind of happens all the time, and it's been happening for years. People really want to ding Boehner. And so we were in the Capitol, and we waited, and he. And this is the day the Pope was up here, and he came out of his office, and he stopped to talk to us, which was kind of rare. He usually just goes straight to his car if we're standing there. And he starts talking to us about his private experience he had with the Pope, where the Pope you know, was complimenting his work for Catholic schools and kids, and which Boehner's very involved with and has been for years. And then he said the Pope put his arm around Boehner and said, I want you to pray for me. And Boehner, then and when he was telling us the story, just completely broke down and started... started Even in the retelling. Yeah, started crying. weeping, right. And then Bob said to him, do you really have anything left to accomplish? And he made a zero with his finger. Really? And, yeah, and then I said, are you going to retire? And he just laughed and, and and left. And later, and as we reported in a story, I think on Friday, he had just come out of a meeting where he told his chief hmm. of staff that he was resigning. <laughs> so he knew the wow. answer to that. His chief of staff told him to sleep on it, and he slept on it. His chief of staff called him in the morning and said, you know, have you changed your mind? And he said no. And then he, the next day, walked into a, a closed Republican meeting and said he's out. So <laughs> that's kind of how it went down. It's unbelievable. It's still, uh, we're still kind of in shock at how it all came together. And now we're uh, on Capitol Hill having our third Republican leadership race in 15 months. Did he not answer that question to you in a way that led you to think, oh, the answer is yes? Or was it just... He always kind of does the non-answer stuff. So it's tough to to extrapolate So this didn't seem different. It didn't. And So um, you walked out of there thinking, oh... Boehner will be back tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. And and it later came out also that he had he had a plan to resign November seventeenth, which is his sixty sixth birthday, and give up the gavel at the beginning of twenty sixteen. Which and he accelerated those plans. I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of unbelievable. He decided in one day that he was. I mean, he already was going to resign, and he thought he should resign earlier than he had even planned. So it's. It's it's really quite stunning. Talk to us. I mean, I have this thesis that, you know, if we just looked at Boehner on his merits and what he's accomplished during his speakership, it would still be a big zero. I mean, well, he's done worse than zero. It's been like negative five. He himself said, judge us not by what we enact, but by what we repeal. And I think if we looked at him just on his legislative record, we would say, wow, this was one of the most ineffectual, destructive speakers of the House ever. Yet, because of the permatan and the Merlot and the sort of like weird, you know, Bainerisms, whether that was the singing of Zippity Doodah or his endless stream of commentary about people's outfits. And he became this sort of mythic, likable figure, largely because of the relationship he had with the press or the way he was conveyed in the press. Tell us a little bit about what, what it was like to cover Boehner. Or I how mean, it's John been. Boehner's entire tenure was a res- in a lot of ways a response a direct response to Nancy Pelosi's mm. from 2008 to 2010. He, he won the speakership on a fire Pelosi platform. I mean, he re, they drove around the country in a bus that said fire Pelosi. It wasn't, it wasn't really Mark subtle. Mark drives around in, in I the, do. It's a different Pelosi, yeah. actually. I change it's it every neighbor, day. An every single day, neighbor. yeah. Uh, so this is what Boehner's staff will say. I'll just relay what they think their accomplishments are. It's not that they've done nothing. I mean, it's been very limited. I mean, they've done some entitlement reform around the edges, they have cut the deficit, but if you think about the things they've talked about doing, they were on the brink of a grand, a huge budget deal yeah. with the president that right. fell apart. They had immigration, immigration. reform. I mean, right. think about it. John Boehner's tenure opened up. You know, one of the first days was the day Gabby Giffords was shot in the head. I mean, mm. so it was. 
they didn't do gun anything on, on guns. On guns. Right. But he is likable, and you're right. I think the, the the coverage of him kind of does reflect that. I was actually he was easy talk- to report about. I mean, like he has smart staff. I mean, he's, he has very good yeah. staff. Yes, and he and they maintain very good relationships with the press. Yes. The Boehner's office is, and this is someone who works at MSNBC, is one of the few Republican leadership offices yes. that has a very open. collegial relationship with people they see as on the other side of the aisle. For sure. And also, he understands the press and he understands that he needs to, he calls it feed the alligators. You know, (laughs) no matter how bad the week is, he still does a weekly press conference. And that's mm-hmm. saying something on Capitol Hill where every single week is a complete disaster. You, you can sort of evaluate his speakership on the defense he had to play against his own caucus. There was a lot of things they came really close to doing. But there's also a great deal of damage. I wouldn't say that it was averted because a lot of the damage was done around the shutdowns and the debt ceiling and stuff. But I don't really see what he could have done differently. I mean, everyone well, says... I mean... I don't either. I don't. I mean, given what where that caucus is... And where it's going. I think that's a very important part of this, is like, what does Boehner's resignation actually practically mean for the Republican Party? It actually means, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, McCarthy's likable, and he's going to be the next speaker, Kevin McCarthy. And... But he's nothing fundamentally has changed here. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it, this is not a fundamental change. And some people, some you don't think it represents anything? Oh, I think it represents something. But what I'm saying is the fundamental political dynamics in the House Republican are Conference are not changing at all. Do, do they actually think the country is with them? I mean, you get a sense in the Republican presidential campaign too, and you do with all the energy that's spent on you know just covering these these huge stories within the Republican Party that. The people who are driving this really think the country is with them, that Ted Cruz really thinks he is speaking for a silent majority. That's Donald Trump's phrase, but it goes beyond just getting elected. I mean, there is a lot of people in that caucus who think that, you know, not only are they safe, but this is where the country is and they will be rewarded. I think that fundamentally these people think at its most fundamental level that the balance of power has gotten so out of whack and somebody needs to stand up for the constitution. I mean, that's one of the things I think they think. And I think they really do believe a a good number of these people go home on the weekends and hear, keep up the fight. (laughs) And uh, and, I mean, this is like, I don't want to get political science on, on, uh, because that's not what Politico does. Uh, of course but, not. Like, listen, no, I think, it just it tra- traffics and rumors and innuendo, right? <laughs> uh, um, the, the districts are drawn in a way that they go home and just hear from people that agree with them all the right. time. Right. And they truly believe, like, if you actually believe that Planned Parenthood should not get federal funding, how could you ever sign off on a bill or vote for a bill that does it just runs contrary to their their core beliefs. And but I, I guess when we talk about it doesn't mean anything for the party, I mean, I, I am sort of intrigued, I guess, in a season where Donald Trump is a Republican frontrunner. Donald Trump, Ben Carson, and Carly Fiorina are leading the polls, and Jeb Bush is now polling at 7%. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the program. The idea of leadership and the establishment and the amount of power they have is like very much up for question. And the, that it was, Kevin McCarthy announced on Monday that he is throwing his hat in the ring to be speaker and by all outside accounts, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Jake, is going to be the next speaker of the House. And Kevin McCarthy basically seems like a, like a less tan, sort of more fit John Boehner. <laughs> I mean, he, he's from California. Right. And I wonder, you know, if you think the dynamic remains unchanged, why would the raucous part of the House caucus 
vote for this guy. I mean, I, I heard a couple reports that said he is a he's a better communicator. He listens better than Boehner. But like, if you truly think this is you finally got a head on a stake, why would you elect someone that is effectively going to be the same? They have no alternative, which is, I think, an important thing to remember. I mean, mm-hmm. the math is you need to get 218 people to support you. So there's only a certain number of people who could do that. McCarthy is going to make huge concessions to these people. What does I, that mean? I think he's going to... Bigger than Boehner did? Yeah, I do. Well, well would, different, so I actually think. go over the fiscal cliff or actually shut down the government? And like, what are those big concessions? Some process-based concessions to them. So make sure that they have buy-in to the decision-making process. What Boehner did is he basically conceded that they were going to lose the fight at the beginning. With Obama in the White House, right. they're just not going to win any of these battles. And I mm-hmm. think he's going to make it that they have their hands on the process. They are involved in the decision-making. And it's still going to come to the same conclusion, but at least these people will have some sort of skin in the game. And McCarthy's just more likable. He's a, uh, unlike any politician I've ever seen, he's in constant communication with like several dozen people. He's on his phone constantly. He's a founding member of the Young Guns, too. Yeah, he's, right. Is he in formidable physical shape? I don't. I mean, I don't want to. Jake, do you know what his body mass index is? I saw him this morning on the way back from the on the way to his office. That's that's not the sort of like overwhelmed assessment that I wanted about his workout habits. I do work out. Good. Are you you kidding? You've seen Sherman? uh, I not recently. He probably has like point one percent body fat. Tell me what you do, Jake. Let's 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 actually you know. Is it like a P ninety X workout? I do. I'm a big Soul Cycle fan. Oh lord. Interesting. But I do. I ran a couple marathons. So excellent. Okay. Uh, And I. uh, What have your times been? I did New York last year, three forty nine. And you can look that up. I'm not Paul Reining this thing. Uh, Outstanding. Oh, uh, Paul Reining now. Uh, now I don't remember. The first one I think was like 355. All right. I did improve. Right. And I have a bib this year, but my foot's hurt. So if, wow. you want, if anyone wants a bib to... No, when you say you have a bib, I know you're very young. Do you mean like a bib like to eat with? <laughs> no, or okay. I mean a, a, a racing bib. Okay. And what's your Mark diet like? rolled his eyes at his own joke what's just your, now. No, you couldn't it's, see No, that. it's interesting though, because I, I have a story coming out in... Actually, it's on Sundays, in Sunday's magazine, but it's going to post probably... Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. What's it about? Uh, it's about Donald Trump. We're t- I'm talking about his special campaign diet and his workout regimen. Whoa, oh, wow. Uh, no, this is like this is like this. one of the sections. It's like a throwaway section. But no, he's, that sounds like a the nugget. Did he give you good the access? Oh, yeah. We're on this plane, and he's like, there's like huge plates of food, and he keeps like heaping potato au gratin onto his plate. I mean, oh. it's like he's just going completely nuts. So I said, so you want any special campaign diet or something? And he said... No, not really. And, and I said, so do you work out or anything? And he said, you know, let me tell you something. All my friends who work out, they have these like knee replacements and hip replacements. It's a total disaster. I work out <laughs> no. by going up on a stage and talking for 70 minutes like I just did. At this point, like he had just like polished off. It's probably a piece of, what, what was it? Red velvet cake that was maybe the size of a shoebox. No. <laughs> I mean, it was real. I mean, the guy chows down um, oh my god the visual of yeah. donald trump just stuffing his face with potato au gratin yeah and i didn't velvet have it on cake. TV. but anyway no but it was interesting though because i mean you have this ascetic view of like, no no Obama i'm, I'm, and, I'm envi- envisioning this oh no no it was it was great i mean he was voracious but president um, obama doesn't eat food like that he doesn't I've nor heard. does like mitt romney i mean there's this ascetic, no, I disagree like, the, with you mitt romney that guy ate like a champ he ate those he peanut butter out. and honey he sandwiches he did but he this believe me this was we're talking about heaps <laughs> um, and we're talking like chicken and shrimp and Chateaubriand, and he like admonished me. He said he invited me to dip into the shrimp as long as I didn't double dip because he's got a germ thing. And he like he had does. this whole speech on double dipping. 
Like, you know, like if you doubled, you know, just he was at the anyway, it's a long yeah. Um Let's let's <laughs> should we move on. Jake, this is awesome. You want to stick around? Sure. One more. One more. All right, one more. OK, everyone out there listening to this podcast, what do you think of John Boehner's departure as Speaker of the House? And what does it mean for the Republican Party? Let us know. Write us at podcast at Gmail dot com. Mark Leibovich and his new assistant will reply to each one of those emails. <laughs> We're kidding. Mark Leibovich doesn't have an assistant. Okay. New or old. New or old. Although he is also taking resumes and applications for anybody yeah. that would like to apply for mm-hmm. that job. So All right, moving, moving on. on. Moving on. The drip, drip, drip of Hillary Clinton's campaign, campaign, campaign. Okay, this actually qualifies in my book as like some breaking-ish news. Never breaking, just breaking-ish. <laughs> in the latest NBC News Wall Street Journal poll, Bernie Sanders is now only seven points behind Clinton. I believe in June of this year, he was 60 points behind her. Let me ask you, Jake and Mark, okay, we know the email drama has hurt her, but is it at this point the mismanagement of the message, the mismanagement of the campaign, or just more people waking up to the email scandal? Uh, Jake, go first. I'm going to defer to Mark on that because he, he, he didn't you see a moose on the way? Was that a sign of some sort? It was no sign. A uh, harbinger of the Jake, apocalypse. Jake, by the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weigh in on this first, but you will weigh in and you will not adhere to the whole like politico. Oh, well, my sources tell me. I mean, like. I don't actually have any sources when it comes to That's good. So you should just like talk completely out of your ass and like. That's what we do every week. You can swear. It's so edgy. We're very edgy. You should see us right now. Um, so my view of, first of all, the Hillary Clinton campaign has been such an abject disaster from just how it's been managed, how this email thing has been managed. I don't know why they just don't change and change now. Just get her out there. I mean, I think the best thing that's happened to her and maybe the best thing that will happen to her going forward is the presence of Donald Trump. And I'll tell you why. He has obscured a lot of you know, really a, a lousy campaign that she's run. But also the phenomenon of Donald Trump has actually scared a fair amount of Democrats into thinking, all right, we just can't be fucking around with the Bernie Sanders. This is the one who's running. The trouble we're tempting with Bernie Sanders could actually get someone like Donald Trump elected president. Jake? I think I'm going to actually say an opinion. Every time I say an opinion, I'm going to say I could be dead wrong about that because it actually You works. should totally say and You should also say I have sources telling me because no one will hold you to it. Yeah, that's what right. we so, do. That's well, think what we you do have every authority. Week. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's been a complete disaster. And I, I mean, the fundamental thing that I keep getting back to is why does Hillary Clinton still have nobody around her mm. who is telling her not to do shit like this? <laughs> <laughs> I just don't understand why. Like, at some point, there wasn't someone like, "Hey, listen." Uh, well, actually, my sources tell me that they have been trying to talk to Hillary, <sighs> and that she's just—I re- mean, getting her to say, "I'm sorry." For the email scandal was like, let it's me let me come up with does. a good metaphor. It was a Sisyphean task. Although mm. I guess Sisyphean tasks, you don't actually get the boulder up the hill. But I mean, I just can't believe, Jake. You remember when this broke, Mark? You remember when this broke? That was months and months and months ago. Right. It's now October, basically. It Iowa is, is in January. Yeah. That you can bet there are forces that want to keep this story alive for. 90 days, which is a lot less, which, which is a lot more damaging than 90 days four months ago. And I just can't believe they haven't been able to, like, kill this. I, I'm shocked. It's, it, is, it is surprising. And a bunch of tweets to say that it's time to move on is not the, way to, <laughs> not the way to really Horrible, man. It's Did you almost say disgusting? Done. Disgusting. That's the Trump word. Okay, but let me posit this scenario to both of you guys, and I'll start with you, Jake. Bernie Sanders wins Iowa. 
what does that practically mean for Hillary Clinton's chances of winning the Democratic nomination? Which even seems absurd. Make to sure you say. preface this with my sources on the uh, Hill. Yeah. Or, it, or I could be dead wrong. Yeah. I, I could be dead wrong, but I think like psychically, it's going to be very difficult for her to continue. I'm not saying she's going to drop out, but I mean, I know, and this I do know from people who have worked for her. I think it was very difficult for her. Uh, obviously, last time when she when she lost Iowa, and I can't imagine how it's going to affect her her psyche going into New Hampshire. Well, like, what yeah. happens here, Mark? I mean, and, well, and, and Bernie Sanders is not Ralph Nader, right? Like, no. Bernie Sa- I mean, I, I'm, I'm uh, actually interested me, to know what the Sanders campaign calculation let, is. If you were to ask, like, a perfectly scientific sampling of a 1,000 United States voters and say, what is more offensive to you, an egotistical nativist um, demagogue, i.e. Donald Trump, or any socialist, i.e. Bernie Sanders... Bernie Sanders against Donald Trump, Trump wins. Oh, yes. I agree with that. And and just like a pure generic ballot, socialist versus egomaniac uh, celebrity. You know, Jake, you you cover the Hill, and and I wonder if you think that the establishment, Bernie Sanders is a creature of the Hill. What do they think about this? And like, if Bernie Sanders actually wins Iowa and maybe even New Hampshire, will there be a closing of the ranks? Like, how indignant will Democratic leadership be? But what will the closing of the ranks look like? I don't know. Do they they try to get Biden in the... I mean, I I I think he's not going to end up running. I think it's just going to be too difficult for him to get the money at this point. But messages from on high don't really play well right now. I mean, no. tell well, us what Bernie Sanders' relationship is like with That's a good question. With Democrats because right. they are super delegates after all. I mean, yeah, I don't think he really has any. Mm. Uh, he has I think with Senate colleagues obviously it's a m- much more clubby place, but the you know, the bulk of the super delegates are probably in the house, right? I mean, there's a lot more <laughs> House Democrats than there are Senate Democrats yeah. and I don't get the sense that I don't think there's any real relationship there. See, um Alex said that that Bernie Sanders is a creature of the hill. I think he's more a creature of the hills, plural. Yes, yes, you're right. Like sort of like you know Lothar of the Hill people, like from Saturday Night Live. You're totally right. That is, he is not a. It's not like the Senate Club. It's more like the the Sierra Club or like the I don't know. I mean, there's just different clubs that that totally right. He's not a creature of backrooms and smoke. Yeah, and he's not really a creature of Washington. I mean, he's not a creature of. But he comes from there, and one would wonder whether the Democratic establishment will have any sway in saying. Okay, dude. Look, uh, I'm guessing no. It's like what Trump says. Like I'm, I'm the the front runner in the polls. If, if Bernie Sanders right. wins, then what are people going to say to him? Like you, you you're not allowed. You're right. You, you. Sorry, we don't like you. You're not allowed. We'd rather have Hillary Clinton. I mean, well, for the sake of the country, Bernie. You right. know, blah blah blah. Well, let me ask you this, Jake. Do you know on the Hill a single Democrat or a single Republican who is? openly supporting Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump. No, and I've actually been thinking that's like a good story, a great right? Story. Um, Go do that. We're your assignment yeah, editor. Yeah, that's a great yeah, story. We could, we, yeah. I don't think anyone is supporting either of them. That's amazing. Um, Scenario posited. And, and also, I think um, people, especially Democrats, want to be kind of lobbied by her. And, and that's that started to happen. I think Hillary had some people up on the Hill doing some member outreach. but Oh, great. <laughs> wow, that sounds really effective. Wow. I'm enthused mm. by just the idea of the Clinton member outreach operation. But they're waiting to be wooed is the mm. best way to put it. Can I tell a little story? Um, sure. This was so in 2008, uh, after Hillary Clinton was just like about to lose. I mean, Obama was in the lead. They were sort of playing out the string. Uh, I was interviewing her late one night in Indiana, like right before the Indiana primaries. And it was like 1130 at night, and I just interviewed her in some classroom after some rally in like Terre Haute, Indiana or something. And she 
it, so at the end, like someone had a bunch of cookies. Like there was a bunch of baked goods. It's all very food related. Yeah, for me today. you're hungry. And I said to her and Philippe, who I guess was with her then, is like, you know, your food on this campaign is just excellent because you know some supporter just baked a whole bunch of brownies and something. And she said, well, you know, you ought to join our campaign. You know, if nothing else, for the food. And I, you know, sort of deadpanned. You know, I I need to be courted. I need you to like tell me how great I am and everything. And she looked at me with a complete straight face and said. Mark, have you thought about being a super delegate? <laughs> I thought that was a great moment for her. I, I have always given her props she's, for like her she's sarcasm. Fast when she did wants. that make the piece? It did not make the piece. In fact, I think it might have been off the record. But now, hey, it's out this, there. This it's podcast on the, it's is on the known podcast. as Mark's Extras. We're breaking news. Is We're there, bre- are there any other off-the-record stories There's you all can kinds. share with well, the Well, actually, I don't remember if it was or that not. Just didn't I don't make think the cut. it was. No, it wasn't off the record. Jake, Whatever. Mark has reams of material. Uh, it's, it's, all, it's all outtakes oh. for me. It's an idea for a book. Mark Leibovich's outtakes. No fucking way, This cookie. This cookie. On that note, Jake, I thank we you, will Jake. thank you for your service to this podcast, to the nation, to the media. Uh, it's awesome to hear from you, and um, we look forward to more of your kick-ass reporting from Thank you. Capitol Hopefully Hill. I didn't get myself fired in this. You, uh, you know, with any luck you did, and you can we'll join get you our fired podcast next full week. time. Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> hey, there you go. in all seriousness, great, great work up there. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Okay. okay, we need to take a quick break to hear from our wonderful sponsors, but we will be right back. Hang tight. Podcast for America is brought to you by The Rachel Maddow Show on MSNBC. Every weeknight, MSNBC's Rachel Maddow breaks down the big headlines for the local threads that tie them all together. Sure, that's a lot of searching, and it takes a lot of work. But even in a country this big, there are no local stories. Your life and what you see from your front porch is directly connected to the national news. Watch Rachel as she connects the dots and covers America's news one story at a time. It's The Rachel Maddow Show, weeknights at 9 Eastern, only on MSNBC. And we're back. All right, Jeb's departure. A national NBC News Wall Street Journal poll released Sunday shows Jeb Bush at fifth position among all GOP candidates with about a 7% fan base. The Washington Post basically says, big donors to Jeb Bush, you better figure this out, dude. It's probably what it said. I mean, yeah, I'm paraphrasing. I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm really literally reading from the Washington Post. No, actually, I'm not. Um, <laughs> okay, this is like evidence of my, I don't even reside inside the Beltway, but it's like somehow almost incomprehensible to me that Jeb Bush might actually be exiting this race. And yet, if you look at all signs, his debate performance, the polling, his momentum, everything except for money, and the Washington Post is the first sign that money might be actually leaving the room too. Like, there is maybe no reason for this guy to stay in the race, uh, other than he's the establishment. I wouldn't say it's zero hour for him, but he's got about two months. And here, here's the problem for him. He, I think, can viably say, I'm an alternative to Donald Trump and Carly Fiorina and Ben Carson, all of whom, you know, they're, they're non-politicians, but they are all extremely flawed. And there will be a... But isn't Marco Rubio that well, person? Well, that's his problem. His problem is Marco Rubio at this point. I mean, Marco Rubio is showing some signs of getting some traction. Again, he, he did a few months ago, and, and it's, the cycle seems to be coming back to him. Rubio seemed to have had a good debate. He seems to be better at engaging Trump than Jeb or pretty much anyone else. And I actually think that that's as valuable a skill for a Republican candidate for president right now is as there is. I guess my thinking is part of the reason Rubio is like there is on the bubble, as they say, right, is because he hasn't really had to fend off any arrows. I mean, I think that there are two things that are ultimately damning. 
you just have to trot out the C-SPAN footage of the Gang of Eight and the Senate bipartisan immigration bill. I mean, I think in a GOP yeah. primary, that really matters. That does You have a guy out. named Marco Rubio. True who was a co-sponsor of bipartisan immigration reform that would have given, quote-unquote, amnesty to 11 million undocumented women and and men in this country. And I think that that's just a non-starter for this particular moment, this particular particular electorate, and this particular moment. I just think that the real drip, drip, drip here might be whether Trump's act is actually wearing a little bit thin. Although, when an act wears thin, does it actually drip? We have a mixed metaphor. It gets very thin and here. actually liquefies. Maybe. I think uh, everyone's going to stay in this race forever. Mm, maybe. Maybe not. And but even if you called the herd in half, you still have seven or eight people in the race. It's true. Although if a lot of them are, you know, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, you know, Mike Huckabee types, I mean, there's still space for, quote unquote, an establishment candidate, which Bush presumably would still have a claim on. But again, Rubio seems to be infringing on that. I, I will ask you this, and I don't really know the answer to it myself, but if there's one dark horse in the race that you think we're not talking about that we will be talking about in six months, someone who we've sort of dismissed. or Right just now? Had, yeah. John Boehner. No. Um, no. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe Cruz. I mean, I, I suppose. Really? Only because he has so assiduously sucked up to Trump. I think like his next move will just be to literally polish his shoes on the stage of the debate or like clean his Spit feet. shine them? Yeah. The sycophanticness of Cruz to Trump, I think, you know, it's probably strategic. I'm sure it's, I'm almost certain it's strategic. But if Trump loses a bunch of conservatives, I mean, real hardcore Tea Party conservatives, which, you know, are part of his coalition now, they might drop to Cruz and Cruz might actually have to attack the person whose shoes he is shining. But, you know, I mean, Kasich, although I I don't know, he's not doing much either. I think you're right on Cruz. I'll just say this as we close. If Ted Cruz is the nominee, you're going to see John Boehner campaigning for Hillary Clinton (laughs) because nobody doesn't like Ted Cruz. Nobody likes Ted Cruz. Less than John Boehner. There were so many negatives. Nobody doesn't like Ted called him a jackass. Called him a jackass. And then referred back to those comments on Sunday Sunday, on Face the Nation. And I'll leave it there because we haven't said the word jackass enough in this podcast. Jackasses for America. You're welcome, everyone in this great nation who listened to this podcast. And thank you for that. That is all for Podcasts for America. Thanks to our producer, Jocelyn Frank, and for help this week from engineer Dan Bloom. Dan's in the room with us. Thank you, Dan. As always, thank you to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter at Pod for America. Our email address is podcastforamerica at gmail.com. Mark Leibovich is taking resumes if you'd like to be his unpaid personal assistant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And please tell your friends about us, too. You can subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. It helps other people discover our show. For Mark Leibovich in person and Annie Lowry in absentia, I'm Alex Wagner right here in Washington, D.C. We'll talk to you next time, and thanks for listening.